We're in our summer series on the fruit of the spirits, and this week we're talking about goodness. Um, as humans, we have sort of uh, conflicting feelings about goodness, if you will. We, we want to be good. Uh, there, there's, not, there's very few human beings that we talk to that says, I don't want to be a good person. Most people want to be good. They want to be a good person. They try to be a good person to, to some extent. And yet somehow, even though we want to be good, we know somehow that we're not as good as we could be or as good as we should be. We as human beings in conversations with each other, we talk about and mourn the lack of goodness in the world. Just how difficult life can be sometimes. Difficult how other human beings can be, right? Sometimes we are hard to get along with. And we will sit and we'll moan and bemoan the lack of goodness in the world. But, but then we don't go and practice that goodness ourselves. Have you ever realized that? Have you ever, like, have you ever thought about the contrasting emotions that you feel when someone cuts you off in traffic? And the, the thoughts that you think or maybe the words that you say, Tad? Oh, I don't know, like, like the, that you say to... Or the thoughts that you think and the feelings that you feel when you cut someone off in traffic and they get angry with you and you get angry at them for getting angry at you when you're the person on the other side. We want to be good. We want a world of goodness, but yet somehow we aren't as good as we think that we, or that we know that we could be or should be. And the, the reason that exists is because our longing for goodness our longing for good, to experience good, is really our longing for God. All of us as human beings, we have a longing for goodness, that we, that we should be good and this world should be good around us, that people around us should be good, and that is really a longing for God himself. A longing for goodness exists because God exists, and goodness exists because God exists. And that's why it's so hard. Have you ever thought about, uh, goodness is one of those terms that are difficult to define. Have you ever thought about that? Like what is good? What is goodness? It's hard to define because it's the, it's, you, we can't determine what goodness is apart from a belief in God. God himself is the definition of good. So therefore, we have to look at his character. We have to look at God's character and look at his nature in order for us to determine what is good. And we're only gonna be able to do that imperfectly this morning because of my limitations as a human being and because of the limitations of the, how long this sermon is gonna be. First of all, if you want to write this down, our first big point is God is good. Now that's something, if you're a Christian, that you know. It's a mantra. Some churches you say God is good, and they say back all the time. Not you guys, because you guys rarely talk back to me. But other churches, you say God is good, and all the time God is good. As you say back, God is good all the time, and all the time God is good. And here's how good God is. God is infinitely good. God is infinitely good. God created. God existed before time began, if we can even fathom that. God existed in the Trinity. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, enjoying his goodness between the, or inside of the Trinity. And what creation is, is an explosion of God's goodness. God complete and totally good and enjoying his goodness in himself, for some reason, apart from our understanding or our wisdom, God exploded his goodness out like a fountain that has no source or no ending, no limitation, exploded the goodness of creation. And God created the heavens and the earth and he said it was good. 
He created all the animals of the sea and on the land, and he said, it was good. He created the Alps and the Rockies, and he said, it is good. He created the, the Atlantic Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, he said, it is good. He created Clemson, South Carolina, and he said, it is very good. No, not really. That, that's, that's, my, that, that's my little editorial. But he created creation, and he said, it is good. Creation itself is an explosion of God's goodness. That is why when we look at the ocean and we see a sunrise or a sunset, we look at the mountains or the Grand Canyon or the, a waterfall and we see life itself, we see, man, that is good. There is goodness in that that stirs our souls because God is good and creation is one fragment of the explosion of his goodness that we can see and experience. God is good and he created a creation that is good and is a part of his explosion. Here's how good. God is, that in all the creation, all the, not only earth, I'm talking about all the known universe and beyond, all the countless stars that exist, all the countless galaxies and solar systems that exist across the universe that, are, that we cannot comprehend in our mind, that all of that goodness that he created, all that beauty, the science and the physics behind it all, all that he created and upholds it, it didn't exhaust any amount of his goodness at all. God didn't create the vast universe and experience any sort of, oh man, I've lost any amount of my goodness. He created it and there's more and more, infinitely more to come behind it. He created creation and it was good. He created mankind, man in his own image and he said it was very good. He didn't create us out of need. He didn't create us because he was lonely or bored or didn't know what to do with his time. He watched everything on Netflix and said, I may as well create man. He, he wasn't, wasn't feeling any sense of loneliness or incompleteness. Out of God's completeness, he created man in his image. He formed us in his likeness so that he could share with us a bit of his goodness. He could lavish upon us. There's this wording through the New Testament. He would lavish upon us his goodness for all eternity. That's what we were created for. To see and experience and know his goodness. That goodness that is so good, there is no limit to it. And he, all, all God does is give and create goodness and he doesn't receive it at all because he is the source of all goodness. God is not only infinitely good, God is perfectly good though. He is the measure of all that is good. He is the measure of all that is good. Anything that we see as human beings that is good is only indirect goodness. It is derived goodness. It is goodness that comes from the source of goodness. He alone is perfectly good. There is no amount, no amount of, of bad in God. There's no amount of evil. There's nothing that God does or is that is not good. He alone is perfectly and infinitely good. And that leads us to the next point. God is only good. God is only good. He cannot be bad at all. There, if, there's, that, if there's something, if you can imagine this almighty creator God, if there's something he is incapable of being or doing, it is being or doing wrong or being or doing bad. He is incapable of being anything other than good. Because that is his very nature and character. But not only is he incapable of doing anything bad, only is he only good, he is freely good. God, out of his own sovereign will, has decided to, the, to be good. 
out of no duty or no obligation to you or me or anybody else, he alone has decided that his nature will be goodness or what we call goodness. You know what that looks like? God never acts for his own profit. He always acts for the, he sends out his goodness to others and sacrificially serves and loves other people. Lord, serves us as human beings. God never sends out goodness and depletes his own goodness. And if that's true, then here's what we have to understand. If, we, if that's true about God, very quickly, and there's a whole lot more you can study and think about and ponder and blow your mind about the goodness of God with, but if that's true, then this must also be true that man has no goodness in himself. You and I, as mankind, we have no goodness in ourselves. Now, what does that mean? It means that whenever he formed us, mankind, out of the dust of the earth, in his image, and he breathed his breath of life into us, we were good because we were made in his image to reflect his goodness. We have no innate goodness that is not derived from God. Every bit of goodness that could exist in man is only a derived goodness. We are a created being and we are created to reflect and to image or to show the goodness of God. To enjoy his goodness and to reflect it to those around us. And together, the picture would be that if mankind had not fallen, we would together all be created good in his image and we would be enjoying constantly in creation and in each other his goodness back and forth and we'd be sending it back up to him in praise and glory for how great and amazing he must be and he is. Every part of creation has an inherent communication of God's goodness and there's a unique communication of God's goodness upon man because we were uniquely created in God's image. It's our design that we would reflect and image the goodness of God to each other and to creation and that is a derived image from, a derived goodness that is from God. So if that's true, then we can see the, the true evil and the true danger of mankind's rebellion against God, right? If he alone is good and we were created to image him, can't you see then the, the inherent evil and the inherent danger of mankind's rebellion against him? It wasn't just that somebody grabbed a fruit off a tree and ate of the fruit, it was that that act reflected a change in the soul where we rebelled against the only source of goodness and cut ourselves off from that goodness. It's evil in that we are removing ourselves from the only source of good and it's dangerous that we are removed from that source. Because when we are removed from all the source of goodness as people, human beings that were made to reflect the image of God as the only source of good, Whenever we are removed from that, we are going to, we're going to lack any source of true goodness. And what are the results of that removal from the, the image that we were created to reflect? Well, it's strife and war and misuse of our fellow man, fellow image bearers of God, misuse of creation. And that's why we see such, don't you see this? That's why we see such promise in humanity and yet we also see so much evil. That's the great conundrum of mankind. 
that we see that we were created with great and we have great promise because we were created in the image of God to reflect him, but we see so much evil as well because we've cut ourselves off from the only source of goodness. So then you see that the only way to, for, to get to goodness, the only way to experience goodness as human beings is to return to the source of all that is good. But we find ourselves deadened to true goodness. We, we find ourselves in a, a broken loop of trying to determine and find, and find our own goodness and then being angry with God or ourselves or other, or other people or the universe because we can never seem to, to experience anything other than fleeting goodness. It feels like a mirage. Our desire for goodness is a desire for God. But by nature, we're offended at God's claim of absolute goodness. We want to find our own source. There's got to be some other source because something within my heart, within my soul, doesn't want to be dependent upon God, doesn't want to submit to God, doesn't want to admit that my way is not the best way and that his way alone is good, that he alone is good. So God's goodness becomes for us as human beings our stumbling block. Because it requires us to submit to him. To, to understand and realize that he alone is good. That's why Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. To, in order to approach God, you have to believe that he is good, but you also have to believe that he alone is God. That he alone is good and he alone is God. We must believe and accept that there is no other source of goodness. And that's difficult for us. But God's goodness isn't meant for us to be, to, isn't meant to be fully understood by us. It's meant to be marveled at and admired and worshiped and submitted to by us. His goodness requires submission in order to be enjoyed. And this is how, this is where the good news comes in. This is how we know that Jesus was from God and was God. This is how God declared it to us. It was in our text. It's through Christian off that our text starts in the beginning of a sentence, but we'd have to go way further back to get the whole context. Uh, Peter was preaching a sermon to his first sermon to a Gentile. God had told him to go to this man and proclaim the gospel to him. And he goes and he stands before him. And as he, he's preaching the gospel, he comes to this part in verse 38 of Acts 10. He was telling him about Jesus. He says, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is how we know that Jesus was from God and Jesus was God, because Jesus did good. This is the shocking story of Jesus. The shocking story of Jesus is that God's goodness came to us when we refused to go to him. 
The life of Jesus was spent doing good, and that was the sign that he was from God. It was the sign that he was God, and in fact, it was actually his mission. This is, what, this is the mission of Jesus. Whenever he was early on in his ministry, he was in his hometown, and he went to the synagogue for their uh, Sabbath uh, worship, and he took the scroll and he read this from the prophet Isaiah. Luke 4, 18 through 21. Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's Favor, And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes of the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is what he said. This is my mission, Jesus said. My mission is that the, God, the Spirit of God is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus' mission was to come and to do good. And he put that into practice in his life and all the way to his death. Jesus lived a life of doing good and he died his death in order to do good for the, the ultimate good for those of us who are separated from God for eternity, who are oppressed and captive to sin itself. Jesus' greatest act was an act of good in his sacrifice of his life to pay for your sins and my sins and reunite us back to the Father. But Jesus didn't only just just come like sometimes I think as Christians, evangelical Christians, we think Jesus was born Christmas and then he died Easter and rose again. And all that happened in between, we forget that for three years he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed, proclaiming the favorable year of the Lord. Jesus did good for individuals. Jesus healed the sick. He fed the hungry. He touched the lepers. In a time where it would not only be uh, unclean to touch a leper, it would be, you would be ostracized. You would feel dirty and separated from the rest of society. And Jesus came and he, not only did he heal the sick and he fed the hungry, he touched the lepers. Jesus shed tears over people's pain. Jesus raised the dead. There's some circumstances where it's hard to figure out why did he raise this person? He didn't raise everybody who died in the, during his ministry, but why did he raise this child? Why did he raise this person? It's usually out of mercy and kindness to someone who came and pled with him. He sat with prostitutes and with notorious sinners in a time when someone of his stature, someone who was considered a teacher of the law, you would be considered unclean, you would be considered uh, uh, an outcast in order to sit with a prostitute. But he just sit with her like this one came and she cleansed his and anointed his feet with costly oil. He sat at dinners and parties with tax collectors. They said, this this man is a, is a friend of tax collectors and sinners. That was his reputation. 
He saved the life of a, of a woman who was caught in bed with another man other than her husband. He saved her life. He crossed cultural and religious lines. Whenever he went through Samaria, he talked to the Samaritan woman who not only was a Samaritan, but was also with a man who was not her husband and had, had multiple men. And yet he sat with her, talked with her, and drank out of her vessel. Unclean. Jesus came, and not only was he good, not only was he heading to the cross, but he did good. And he did good in doing so. He was declaring and proclaiming the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a whole new kingdom that has shown up whenever I was born in that stable. A whole new kingdom has come on, the, on, the, on, the, on, the, on this earth. There's a whole new king. There's a whole new value system. All that has been broken by being separated from the goodness of God and, and marring what was made good by God. I am remaking and it will be good and only good again. And I will be the good and righteous king who will rule and reign in goodness and righteousness forever and ever and ever. A new kingdom is breaking through. But not only did Jesus heal the sick and care for the, the poor and, and feed those who are hungry, but he dealt with the whole person. When the, the man's friends who was lame, when they let him down from the ceiling and he couldn't walk and he was there in front of Jesus, the first thing Jesus said to him was, I forgive you of your sins. Your sins are forgiven. And they were appalled at that. Because he knew that was the, the core of the problem that needed to happen. But he said, just so that you guys will know that I have the authority to forgive sins, rise and walk. And the man stood up walking and leaping and praising God. Jesus dealt with sin, but he also dealt with, with healing and with practical needs. He taught the people the word of God, proclaimed the word as someone who had authority like no one had ever seen before. And then at the end of the day when they were hungry, he produced food for the whole crowd out of five loaves and two fish. He fed, the, he fed the crowd more than once that we have record of. Jesus did good for individuals and he also did good for the oppressed. We see over and over again in Jesus' life, he went toward those who were hard pressed and hard up. Jesus went toward those who were hard pressed and hard up. And they, in turn, were attracted to him. They wanted to be around him. Zacchaeus, who was a, a tax collector and a, a sinner, he'll be ostracized among his own people, the Jews, he went and climbed the tree. And you guys may know the song if you were in Sunday school. He, he went and climbed the tree and Jesus walked by because he, he just wanted to see him. And Jesus took notice of him and said, hey, let me, take me to your house today. And Zacchaeus ended up repenting and paying back multiple times back to people who he had stolen from. But it started by him showing goodness to a man who did not deserve it. Women and children, servants and slaves, peasants and laborers were his earliest followers. He was supported by women, women who were considered chattel at the time. Women followed him and supported his ministry. The earliest believers after Christ's ascension were mostly slaves and laborers and peasants and women 
the blue collar, the forgotten, the outcast. But not only did Jesus do good for individuals and he himself reached out for the oppressed, but Jesus did good that showed that new kingdom that we've been talking about. He declared the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he showed off that new kingdom with with healing and wholeness and forgiveness offered to people without cost. He was a quiet revolutionary who didn't seek a throne, by the way, because he already had one. But he was a quiet revolutionary who didn't seek a throne. Instead, he came and he says, the greatest among you will serve. Not lorded over those. He came and he was good and he did good. He just wasn't just good. He came and he did good. And Jesus is still doing good today. His good and righteous kingdom is growing and spreading across the world and it has been for 2,000 years and it's spreading through his followers who continue his work. Jesus did good and so must we. Jesus did good, so must we. That's what Paul is talking about here in Galatians 5. We've been given the same spirit that empowered Jesus and so we should be bearing the same kind of fruit as Jesus. Jesus came and he healed the sick. He came to help and free the oppressed. He came to set at liberty those who were captive and we should be doing, we must be doing the same kind of work as he was doing and he continued because that's the work he's continuing to do today through the spirit of God, to the sick, to the poor, to the oppressed. We as Christians, we must be doing, we should be doing good because we are commanded to do so. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good? What is good? Right? He has told you, O man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? All right, Randy, tell me what to do. Well, here's what is good and here's what the Lord requires of you. But to do justice to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. To do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. The gospel of Jesus is the hope of the world. It's the only thing, it's the only thing that can can solve and gets to the root of mankind's problem. The gospel, hear this, the gospel is the only thing that gets to the root of mankind's problem, but it isn't the only thing that we are called to do as believers. We don't just proclaim the gospel, we seek to write injustice. We do proclaim the gospel, but we also seek to write injustice. What is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice? We don't just proclaim the gospel. In other words, we are called to live it out. And it is lived out as we do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with our God. Now that word justice is sort of a hot button issue in Christian circles right now. It's a hot button issue among certain media types. But I'm gonna tell you something. Seeking justice isn't the territory of some woke Christian or some social justice warrior. I'm doing big air quotes here if you're listening to this later on. I hate those terms, by the way. 
Doing justice isn't just the territory of some woke Christian or some social justice warrior. It's the command of our God to all Christians. What does the Lord require of you, O man, but to do justice, to love mercy or kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? As followers of Christ, we should refuse to, to cede the term or, or let the term justice be hijacked by anyone, whether they're conservative or liberal. We may be misunderstood and uh, maligned if we hold that stance. If we say, hey, we should be doing justice. And somebody says, yo, you're woke or you're a social justice warrior. We may be misjudged. We may be maligned, but so is Jesus. And we must obey him more than anybody else. We must do good because we're commanded to do good. We also must do good because it's our new nature as believers. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And at the end of that it says, for God was with him. The sign that we have a new nature is a sign that we care for those who are oppressed and those who are outcasts. Our new nature should move us toward those who are in need and to towards those who are oppressed, just like it did with Jesus. Now we have to listen to that new nature rather than the old nature, but our new nature should and is pulling us towards those who are in need and those who are oppressed, just like it did with Jesus because that's his nature, it is our new nature. And now we must cause our bodies and our minds to follow where our heart, our new heart, our new nature is. We must do good because he's commanded it. Do justice, love mercy or kindness, and walk humbly with your God. We must do good as human beings, as Christians, because it is our new nature. And then as Christians, we must do good because of the need around us. You hear that in the, in the text? Jesus went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. There is oppression and suffering and hurt around us and we are called to do good towards them and for them because that is God's heart towards them and we should be reflecting that heart. And because we see, when we see oppression around us, it's a sign that the devil is at sway. It's a sign that Satan is at sway. And so where do we see injustice and oppression today? Where does Satan seem to hold sway? Well, we see it, I think, just by the way, I, this is an exhaustive list. It's just a, a quick list I wrote down. Um, what we see is that Satan preys on the weak, by the way. And that's why we are Christian are called in to do justice for those who are weak and oppressed and captive. Where do we see injustice and oppression today? Sex trafficking. There's a huge black market industry where boys and girls are bought, bought and sold. And it doesn't just happen in some place in Asia. It happens here in our very community. There are people who come here, runaways, people who come here for work, people who come here from other locales, other countries, they come here to Myrtle Beach and they end up being taken advantage of and they are bought and sold for 
as, as slaves. To do sexual favors and for people who are willing to pay for it. Where do we see just injustice and oppression today? And we should be stepping in there. We see in abortion, where those who are the weakest and have no voice in our midst are snuffed out and taken advantage of. We see in generational poverty, not just poverty, but generational poverty, where generation after generation and generation are, are stuck in being oppressed and disadvantaged. And in a country where we see a, a widening economic disparity, where the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. We see this great growing divide between those who have and those who don't have. We should be about stepping into that. We see it in the opioid addiction problem, where there are people, pushers, who are taking advantage of those who, are, who find themselves addicted to, to substances and they keep them trapped. We see it in personal and systemic racism. Personal racism, one-on-one, -on -one, and we see it in systemic racism and systems that have been set up from our, our racist and historic past that are, that are designed or were designed and are still in place in order to create this di economic disparity between the races. And that's something that we as Christians should be having a voice in. As Christians, we should care about these issues. We should be engaged with them to some extent. Now, not all of us can be engaged with them fully all the time, but we should be engaged with them to some extent. But it can be overwhelming, can it? You think about, that's just a few problems, a few bits of injustice and issues. And that's where, as Christians, our unique perspective can help us because we can acknowledge that the, the problems of society are, are big and they run deep, but we also have a great hope because the new kingdom has come and is dawning and it will be completed when Jesus Christ returns. All that has been unjust, he will bring justice to. He will make all that is wrong right. Sometimes it can feel like working for justice and trying to help people and do good, whether individually or working towards political ends or otherwise, it can feel like we're just sticking a, a finger in a dam, doesn't it? But if we have a hope that the new day is coming, then we can do, as Christians, we do what we can today and we have hope for tomorrow because of Christ. Yeah, Andy Stanley said this, he said, uh, Whenever you're overwhelmed with all that, all that is wrong in the world and you, want, and you need to do good, he said, do for the one what you wish you could do for the many. And I would like to end homelessness in Myrtle Beach. I have no idea. What, I, I'm without any resources or power to do that. But I know that a man named Michael stopped me outside my car the other day. My family and I were going to, to dinner. And I was able to sit and talk with him, not just throw money at him or Running, but I was able to sit and talk with him and listen to him. And what stood out to me was that the thing that was most meaningful for Michael that night was that I sat there and listened to him. He said, sorry, I, I didn't have anybody else to talk to. I think Michael was gonna commit suicide that night. That's what he told me. I don't know what happened to him yet. I sat and listened to him. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, man, I don't know, I can't, 
I don't have the resources even to, to, to get this guy out of the situation he's in, but I can do what I can right now and today. And I could do for the one what I wish I could do for the many. And I could do today what I wish I could do could be done for him every day. If you would like to figure out some ways that you can figure out how can you do good, talk to Rebecca Evans and somebody on the care team because they've been doing a lot of thinking and praying about what does it look like for us as Christians to do good. Lastly, as Christians, we must do good by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is our great encouragement. We can't be truly good in ourselves, remember. We can only reflect God's goodness. But as Christians, we have been filled by the Spirit of God and given the same power that, that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with and filled him with the Spirit so that he would go about doing good and healing all those who were oppressed for God was with him. God is with us and he has given that same Spirit to us. And that is the Spirit that we find the empowerment to do good from. Throughout history, Christians have gotten a lot wrong, but far more, Christians have been a tremendous force for good. We've been good sometimes where people can see and sometimes we're in quiet, unheralded ways. We've, Christians have cared for the sick that were disposed of in the street and they've also created hospitals. Christians have taught a child in poverty in order to try to help him get out of poverty and Christians have opened schools. Christians have adopted orphans and Christians have fought, fought to abolish unjust laws. This is our, that's our legacy. And as Christians, we must make sure that it continues. We can't just be about the words of Jesus. We need, about, need to be about the works and the ways of Jesus who went about dealing, doing good and healing all those who were oppressed for God was with him. Believer, the spirit of goodness dwells in you. So remember that. Dwell in him, yield to him, and let your story be like your savior's who was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power because God was with him. We're gonna partake of the Lord's table now. And this, the table, the, the bread and the juice is our reminder and our assurance that God is with us and God is in us. And if for whatever reason, if you need to respond to God this morning, this is your time to do that. Now's the time to ask somebody to pray with you or pray for you. You may need to respond to God this morning and become a follower of Jesus. And now is the time for you to come forward or to find somebody to pray for you. You may this morning doubt his goodness. You may have great reason to doubt his goodness. You might be oppressed and you might be hurting, but know this, that what is broken in this world and what is broken in your life proves that we're created for goodness and that God is good. And his good kingdom is dawning and will dawn and is the only source for goodness. So I encourage you to turn, turn to him and fall upon his good heart this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are good and that you do good. I pray that you would help us to see that and to experience that this morning. 
Holy Spirit, we pray that you would continue to exalt Jesus in our midst as we partake of the table, and as we sing of your goodness and your greatness towards us in Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen.